You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the show. Gary Goldman today, a genuine comics comic, a comedian's comedian in the truest sense. Um, he is someone who I have an enormous amount of respect for, and not only is his art vivid and real and resonant and, and meaningful, as well as light and silly and funny and daft, um, not only all of that, but he is extraordinarily uh, generous. Uh, you might be familiar online with Gary Goldman's writing tips. If you search that phrase into your chosen search engine, you will almost certainly find uh, some sort of aggregation or look in the, the Comedians Comedian Facebook group. I think someone posted a link there. For for some time, Gary was tweeting out one tweet a day with another writing tip on it. So, And they're re- really real. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, to the Comedians Comedian podcast, let alone this episode, because you are particularly wanting to improve your writing. It's not all craft. It started off eight years ago being all craft and then became craft and mental health and meaning and all those other things. But if you are one of the people who has always looked to this podcast for genuine craft... Um, what would be the word? <laughs> it'll be. It'll turn out to be something like vocabulary or articulate something I've failed spectacularly to do. But listen, if you're a writer of comedy or of anything, uh, then this is the guy for you. He, he's just and such a warm presence as well. It's all about giving everything away. So myself and Gary are going to discuss uh, Gary's stand-up special slash documentary, The Great Depression, uh, and the mental health journey which it charts via electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. I didn't know anyone did that anymore. And the use of medical ketamine through his recovery um, back to being on top of the world, creatively speaking. Uh, we learn the origin of the world's most humble opening joke and uh, why we should give crowds credit for their vocabulary. We'll also talk about Kurt Vonnegut and the secret writing tip that's visible if you freeze-frame a single shot of the movie. And let's not forget, there are 45 minutes of wonderful extra content available exclusively to members of the Insiders Club, including Gary on his extensive writing tips and why it's impossible to use up creativity and some behind-the-scenes stuff on his experiences doing spots on Conan. That is all available to you if you're an insider. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for that, plus all the extra material from every episode that has it, which is getting on for an awful lot of episodes indeed. This, without further ado is Gary Goldman. I think what I'll do is, in the setup to the show, in the kind of the intro, I will explain to our British viewers 
a little bit more about who you are because I, I could one of my options as a as a, an interviewer is to kind of lay on thick your accolades <laughs> and so on at the beginning to introduce you to new audiences. I don't think you're that well known in in the UK. No. Have you have you been here? No, have you here? I, I mean I've been there, but I, I've never performed there. Okay, yeah. Um, so I I will set all of that up so we needn't retread it now. But um, I'm thrilled that you've listened to the podcast before. And I think there is, the more I kind of prepared for this interview, the more I found these little charming, there's one or two notes I kind of made on aspects of your work where I had the arrogance to to think we're not so different, you and I. There, I was so, every time I found, every time I found a little stylistic trick or a particular self a, a type of self-deprecation i was like oh i do that too <laughs> and it like and instead of with some comics i'd feel like oh i you know that's i i want to be my own guy i'm so thrilled oh, to feel like i'm in step with you that's so nice i will try and ask some difficult penetrating questions okay. as well rather than simply fanning you for oh, a while sounds good. so let's 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 start with this at the beginning of the Great Depression, which is your most recent special, which is more than a special, it's uh, it's a documentary about you returning to stand up after being hospitalised with with clinical depression. Yes. Um, your opening line of, of that special is one of the most disarming I've ever heard. It's quickly become a favourite opening line of mine. You walk out on stage and you simply say to the audience, "You came," <laughs> and. The way that that sets the tone for you and for the hour is extraordinary. It's like the polar opposite of something equally very funny line. What it put me in mind of was an absolute opposite of Daniel Tosh's line where he walks on to tremendous applause and says, believe it or not, that gets old. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it couldn't be more different. They're like the, the extremes of how to relate to an audience. So talk to me about, let's begin with that line and then kind of broaden it into into what you do. You you are the first person to notice that line and there's an enormous backstory to it. Ah, wonderful. Wow. Um, <laughs> so are you familiar with the actor, comedian, personality, Chris Elliott? I'm actually not. I don't think so. No, okay, but I'm so, not good with names. Okay, so I might so he was, um, he's on Schitt's Creek as the mayor. I don't know if you've ever watched that. I have had it recommended, but okay, not watched yeah. it. Okay. And, and so he was, he was a, a regular writer and performer on the David Letterman show. And in 1990 and 91, he had a TV series in America called Get a Life. And Get a Life was this very influential show. And a, a lot of my favorite comedians, and I remember Judd Apatow saying it was one of the one of the two shows along with the Simpsons that he had written a spec script for when he first got into, into writing scripts. So there, there was an mm -hmm. episode where, where Chris is his job on the show is he's a 30 year old paper boy who lives at home with his parents, but he's incredibly arrogant and pompous and, and just uh, very, very outgoing and, and proud Anyhow, he decides he's going to rehabilitate a gang and he <laughs> invites them to his to his parents' house to rehabilitate them. Meanwhile, he has no no experience or training. And when they when they all show up and they're there clearly to to rob him and, and beat him up, he says, uh, 
you came and he's so <laughs> excited. And so <laughs> I, I started out one show in Los Angeles at Largo with that, with that line, because my, my director who I, I collaborated on extensively in a way that I'd never done with a director. I mean, he listened to all my, my sets and, and went to see me and we worked out the, the timing of the, of the jokes and the, and the setup of the, of the, of the arc of the narrative so that it would play right with the, with the documentary footage. So we worked on that together to make it, to make it a, a, a piece. And he said, you should open the special by saying you came. He said, he, he knew Chris Elliott. He knew that line. He said, it's hilarious. I said, but it comes from get a life. He said, if I can get in touch with the Chris Elliott and he says, it's okay, will you do it? And I said, <laughs> and I said, I said, yes. Thinking at the very least we would get in touch with Chris Elliott. So <laughs> Mike, who was the director directed David Letterman's Netflix show. So he had an in with Letterman. He got in touch with Chris. Chris responded, did not remember saying that line and said, <laughs> by all means. Now, within a few months of sending that email and and finishing the, the special, we embarked on a friendship with Chris Elliott that involved us uh, going to visit him in Maine and staying overnight with our, our hero. I mean, that was the thing that, that Mike, the director and I bonded over was our, our obsession with, with Chris Elliott and that, and that show. So the, 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 it it was just remarkable how that worked out. And we, we became like close friends with, with Chris and he, he came to the premiere and he um, is, is someone that we, we've, we worked on a, on a, on a project together. And so it was, it was just so from the very beginning that special was just blessed with all kinds of 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 ideal circumstances and and gifts and and good fortune it it was it was really something i've never experienced before from the from the time mike and i met to discuss the the project we we decided or he decided in the room i i knew that he was somebody I wanted to work with, he said, yeah, let's do this in the room, which, which, you know, in show business never happens. You usually wait yeah. un, until you, you hear nothing. And, and so that was really something. And from that first weekend, he started coming out to my shows and taking notes and listening. And we, we crafted this, this, it started off as about, I had a, about a half hour of material on depression. And by the end I had an hour and a half, we had to cut it down to an hour. And, and it was just, a uh, it was it was smooth sailing from the very very beginning. It was, it was what an incredible project, and it's such a it's such a brilliant piece of work, and it so beautifully kind of counterpoints the or not even counterpoints, but it kind of collages so many aspects of your life, the positive qualities of your life, the the qualities of your art that you have kind of wrestled back from your depression and the effect that it's had on you. Yeah, I th- I think. It's it's interesting because rarely or maybe it happens frequently I don't know but it's I, I've I, I was particularly excited about the fact that working on this project and talking about it I think was a a major component in my my recovery I think opening up about it and making it less 
severe and, and upsetting and, and getting the feedback and, and sort of redeeming the, this period of my, my life that was, that was just miserable and scary in, in that way, I, I think was, was, a, a, certainly a, a, a boost to my, to my recovery. And, and I think made it even more, more stable. There were a lot of things that, that went on and, and one of them, and, and I, I know a lot of people come to this earlier in life, but, but just accepting who I was in, 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 in many ways that I had either been ashamed of or, or tried to keep from, from people, just the fact that I was a big person who was, who was not really, uh, a, a dominant personality or, or somebody who was, a, was a, aggressive. I, I found that to be, to be really liberating and in, in being able to, to talk about that. And it, and it seems like the, the talking about just the, the treatments, the, especially the electroconvulsive therapy treatment. Once I, once I let the air get at that or, or, or allowed people in on that. I found that I, I wasn't some freak who, who had this bizarre treatment that other people had had it. Other people had had good experiences and other people were reluctant to try it and were more likely to try it based on, on my description and, and the, the effect it had on, on me. So, so all around it, it's, it's just, it's, I, I wonder how common it is that, that the art project you work on is, is part of your, your, salvation I'm, I'm sure it's not not as direct as as this but but in a, in a lot of cases i think people are saved by their their art so it's, it's not that unusual it's just it was the it was the first time it was so dramatic for me and and so i'm very very i, I feel very grateful and very very fortunate because i it, it's it's wasn't something that was new. I'd suffered with depression for a long time, but but being open about it and making it funny was was something new, and it, it was it was very effective. And you you were very well placed to to do that. It's almost like although you didn't, I mean, there are comics starting now. There are comics I'm sure have started in the last few years who are aware of their depression and it's the it's the base or the basis of their work the platform of you know it's it's the angle with which they attack the whole job of becoming a comic but you were in a position of having um produced really really strong comedy from a huge variety of topics before you'd started to tackle something so serious and something that you might think is is so so hard to make funny. Certainly, when you talk about electroconvulsive therapy, which in three hundred plus episodes has never been said out loud on this show before, or um, or uh, or I know the the bit where you talk about kind of um, uh, being dosed with ketamine yes, in hospital. Yes, you know yeah. these these are these are very sort of extreme and scary sounding um, uh, tools to to help someone recover. These are big clinical tools, and the idea of being able to make them funny and also to talk about them sort of what do i mean not just to make them funny but also to make them fitting in a very rich uh expression of your comedy do you know what i mean it's yes. you've been you've done totally. your training you've done yeah. all of the years at the heavy bag learning how to make anything funny yeah and then um, we're able to apply that yeah i'm so glad you you brought that up because i i have tried to get that across how 
much the the timing was was crucial because i i had a, a few things that that the young comedians don't have and one of them was a place in in cambridge massachusetts it's now in somerville massachusetts which is just a few miles apart but it was a it was a club and you see it at the very beginning of the special it was called the the it's it's called the comedy studio and i had established myself there when i was living in boston coming up and so the the owner this man named rick jenkins who's just incredibly uh nurturing and generous to to comedians of of all experiences from beginners to to veterans and he allowed me to go on at the end of of every show they they had for that for that summer and whatever time they had left i was able to do and there was no pressure to kill if i went up there and and bombed he didn't say well tomorrow night can you try to do better he mm. he just allowed me to to fail and and I, I i was careful that i always ended well i had some things that would work and i would go to them so that the people didn't feel that they had just listened to a therapy session but sure. i i pretty much was able to do that so i had that was that was one ace in my up my sleeve the other thing was that when i when i had sort of a critical mass of of depression material and hospital material i was able to go on the road and do hour hour and a half two hour shows in front of an audience that i had cultivated over the years that i i could pretty much sell 200 tickets anywhere and in 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 the u.s and some places a thousand or two thousand, a handful of places I could sell a thousand or two thousand and sell out a weekend or or do a, a big theater in in Boston or or New York. But I, I had this audience who trusted me, who had seen all my stuff and trusted that I would be that I would be funny. So it wasn't like when we go to a comedy club where they don't even know who's performing and you go on there. For instance, I I, I was able to work out a. a few things at the comedy cellar, but I had to establish my credentials early on, do well, and then I could pivot and do some stuff. I would, I would say, uh, who here has ever been recognized in the psych ward? And if they, (laughs) if they, if they reacted well to that, then I would do a few depression jokes, but I only had 15 or 20 minutes, in some cases, 10 minutes at the comedy cellar and the other spots in the city. So it was, it was crucial that I, I was able to work these jokes out in, in long form over an hour and a half or, or more on the, on the road. So I, I had that audience and I, I just don't know how a, a comedian could start out and immediately go into depression stuff. That is, that is really brave. I, I, I had a, a very warm and receptive audience nearly from the, from the, from the get-go and then because mm. I, I do meet and greets I was getting not just the laughs but also the feedback afterwards where people would say that really resonated with me I was in the hospital I had electroconvulsive therapy or I've been struggling with with depression and that meant so much to me to hear somebody somebody explain it so or or just to, just to, to let me know that I'm not alone so I just I had so much positive feedback and so much encouragement that that 
the 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 bravery was 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 overstated. I think a lot of people said that was so so brave. I I just got such excellent rewards and and rewards that I wasn't <laughs> u- rewards that I wasn't used to. And that people would come up to me after the show. That was a great show. You're so funny. But I I didn't connect like like that when you when you make yourself vulnerable when you open up and and discuss things that you thought should be kept secret. People are are incredibly. Uh, receptive and appreciative and, and grateful and 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 that's something that that I I held dear and and actually kept uh, again kept me healthy because I I think there was there was the possibility early on in my recovery it wasn't it was wobbly and if I had had some some setbacks even even just just sometimes I think it all could have been undone if one day I I dropped my phone in the toilet just just something <laughs> something could have yeah. gone way off the rails and I would have been set back and and I, maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit but I know that I had a, a really good run of of positive things happening and and I had this project to work on as I emerged from the from the depression my my manager was very patient and that he gave me so, so much uh, leeway as as far as I didn't I didn't work for months and I didn't have any any projects and when when he saw what I was what I was doing early on and talking about depression he said this is this is your next special let's let's work on that I'd like you to meet with this director and he was he was very patient and but also was um, was what's what's the word he he pushed me but but he he, he wasn't yeah yeah he was encouraging and 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 he he wasn't demanding or 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 in in any way rushing me he was he was he was very understanding of my my condition and, and his name is brian stern and I, I i just think he's 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 the first manager i've i've had who has has contributed in a in a in a major creative way in, in, in that his, he, when he first saw me doing material about depression, he said, why don't, why don't we, you only have 20 minutes or a half hour. Why don't we split the, the hour into documentary and, and stand up and do some interviews. And, and we worked on that. And, and then as I, I got more and more comfortable talking about depression and anxiety and hospitalization, I was, I was able to expand on that. And we only wound up having to, to use about 15 minutes of, of documentary footage and interviews. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, and I, I think that was a, that was a good balance because the director, Mike Bonfiglio, he told me early on, he said, "I, I, I don't mean to put you down in any way, but you're not, really well known and famous enough to have a, a full documentary about your your life but if we if we splice it in in the right way and in the right measure it'll it'll be very effective and I, and I, and I, I agree with him were you surprised by the the embracing of the newer more vulnerable Gary Goldman material <laughs> by your fan base because um, I know that you started in your your earlier years. I've heard some of your earlier albums and seen TV spots and stuff, um, whereby you are um, you are talking. You're doing. 
what's the word? What's the word? Very pure observational stuff. Oh yeah, 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 totally. You know, stuff about yeah. Oreos, you know, yes. and, and it's, yeah. it's still, it's so, it's so unique. And so you, the stuff about our Oreos, have you been reading my diary? You know, how do you know exactly <laughs> what I want? All that kind of stuff. And, it, and it's, it's really funny and it's really punchy. And you were presumably building up an audience who trusted you and who took pleasure in listening to your take on things. And I wonder the extent to which you, like, was it a leap of faith for you to believe in them that they would come with you? Because from the outside, it's like, Gary, of course you can talk about real stuff. We love you. Yeah, I, I, I think that it was so gradual Stuart, so that I, other than the the comedy studio where I was able to do almost all depression hospital material, I I had had they had so much faith in me, or or just that that's just his policy, and that that you can talk about whatever you want and as mm-hmm. as long as you're original and and true then then he will he will uh, accept that so i i had that spot and then i gradually worked it in on the on the road so i would i would open i mean it's it's funny because it's almost like i i a, if you were wanting to write a cliche of a an observational comedian this this would be ideal i opened with a joke about the the amount of time it took to invent sweet potato fries and <laughs> and how um and and how it, th- these other things had been invented and and anyhow it was just it was just pure observational pure silly and then I would gradually get a little bit more uh, personal and and deep over the hour, and then by the last few months of the of the special, it was or, or touring the what became the special. I was able to pretty much open with with what you see in the in the final product, and I had and it was and and. You know this, and and this is something that that I originally discovered in sports. That it's I don't know what percentage it is of of uh, achievement and 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 performance athletically and in entertaining, but confidence is so huge. So mm-hmm. I I just had this confidence that I knew I was going to get to something funny. I knew from from empirically that the audience had had responded in a in a positive way. So the 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 other thing that that was very helpful early on was a was a a discovery that I I made in and 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 was was pivotal in my recovery was that I had been used to having my mood dictated by how the audience reacted to my last show. So I was, yes, I was only as good as my last show. It's like an, an athlete who's only as good as his last game. And, and mm-hmm. the, 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 the bucket has a hole in it and you can never fill it because you're only as good as your last game. So I, I had this problem where I was, if I went up there with my new stuff, 
that worked on Monday night, if I went up on Wednesday night and it didn't work, then it was useless. I was a failure and my my dream was was something to uh, defer and, and put off because I just wasn't ready. I wasn't good enough for it. And then I found in a notebook that I zoomed in on, a notebook that belonged to the the problematic genius David Foster Wallace. And it was a quote from from Samuel Beckett and it was just an excerpt of the of the full quote which isn't as as clear of of, of positivity but the the quote was ever tried ever failed no mm-hmm. matter try again fail again fail better and that that one mm-hmm. line fail better released me from any tie to my last performance being the 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 decision or the judgment on my on my worth and i just had to go up there and risk and try. And then as soon as I came across that, I started hearing every artist I respected. I remember listening to a, to a, a, um, audio book by Neil Gaiman called, I I think a view from the cheap seats or, or something like that in -hmm. which he just over and over again said, make mistakes, make big mistakes, fail. And, and I kept hearing that from other people about the permission to fail and, and taking risks and, and failing miserably and bombing and, and all these things. And, and that was the, that was the, that was the key because I, I couldn't continue to do my comedy if every single show was a referendum on my worth as a as a human being it was it was taking too much out of me so so again the, the, there was just a a, a a coming together of of so many different crucial components of a recovery that that mm. came together at the at the right time and and so i i i'm i'm really so grateful in it and it seems sometimes that the the coincidences and the timings are are, are almost miraculous more from gary coming up in just a second as you can hear i'm having a whale of a time talking to him and we've got some absolute belter episodes in the can as well paul sinha returns next week after that we have erin foley uh, hopefully the recording is not in the can yet but mr alistair beckett king will be joining us shortly um and we've got matt ewins the elusive matt ewins is uh, appearing on the show so that'll come out sometime soon as well um more from gary shortly remember comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get over 45 minutes 45 minutes of extras he's so generous with his time um and he will be talking about that series of writing tips for comics that he did uh, and why it is impossible to use up your creativity that's one of those things i'm going to keep coming back to again and again uh, in my own creative life um just a little shout out really for everyone involved with the infinite sofa last night as i record this we had maria bamford as our guest on what became a special gala performance uh, we had ewins ed hedges came to talk to us about um uh, being taken hostage uh, we had the wonderful Stevie Martin and her book club. You can follow Stevie Martin on Twitch at uh, Stevie Martin, but the M is... Oh, sorry, Stevie M, but the S is a five. Yeah, so easy to remember trips off the tongue. And do please go and not only get in touch with all of Gary's great stuff, watch The Great Depression. It's phenomenal. You can see so many of his uh, specials on YouTube, charting the last 20 years of his career. 
and indeed Spotify, or you can probably buy them from him direct via his website if you'd like to actually give him some money, which I hope you will. Um, but also, Maria Bamford was our guest last night, and her Audible original is out now on Audible. You can use some money or a credit. And remember, as it's easy to forget, your Audible credits do evaporate after time, so don't think you've got 400 racked up, as I thought I had. Um, but uh, You Are a Comedy Special is Maria Bamford's new special, and I think you're going to find it absolutely uh, sumptuous and kind of daring and mad and wonderful and and beautiful and humble and all of those kind of things. So I'm clearly replete with joy at uh, the the wonderful creativity of some non-UK comics this week. Um, but there is loads. There's there's someone on um, on Facebook whose name escapes me for the moment. Apologies. Who is doing the lockdown comedy guide? If you've not noticed that, there's a lot of stuff still happening, even though we're not. Well, not all of us are technically on lockdown anymore. Um, there is a tremendous amount of stuff available online. I've spoken to you a little bit about my endeavours on Twitch, but we have now made it simpler. We have now made it simpler for you to watch The Infinite Sofa, uh, Chops Comedy Online, which is uh, our online comedy club that Maria is hopefully gracing us with. I'm going to try and get Gary for that as well. And uh, also, Wednesdays in September, we're doing a thing called Think Tank, which I cannot explain given half an hour, let alone the 30 seconds or so afforded me here. But it is new, experimental, very of the moment and of the internet and should be loads and loads of fun. All of those things are happening on my Twitch channel, but you can see them all at infinitesofa.com without having to. That's the kind of... Uh, the the entry point, if you're scared of the word Twitch or you think that it's just for computer games, it would be easy to think that, but there's so much more there. So go to infinitesofa.com uh, and I should I should today or this week at least put a link there. I'm going to have to rejuge the comedianscomedian.com homepage to talk about all the stuff that's happening and sort of, oh God, I've got to make something incredibly complex, incredibly simple. Who knows how to do that? Probably Gary can help us out. Let's get back to the brilliant Gary Goldman. Do you think you were protecting your earlier, your younger comedian self from those referenda on <laughs> on your self-worth? I think that's beautifully put. Do you think that by doing the pure observational stuff, you were protecting yourself in in some way? Did you have a did you have any a kind of a, any sort of impetus at that time, say 20 years ago in your material to to say more and to go deeper into yourself? And and actually it was a sort of a protective strategy to talk about other things, to talk about Oreos or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the subject is. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a really good point. And I definitely was trying to, to protect myself. And I do not think I could have, I, the, the way I was, for instance, there was there was a point in my career in 2007 where I was I was fed up with with the observational stuff to a to a degree. I I I, I felt sort of sort of blocked in and and that and I, I didn't I didn't have an audience and and that's the that's the key I I think I mean I, I there were a few people who were there just to see me but for the most part they were just there to see you. A comedy show, and so I, I, I had to, to juggle this. I mean, that the, again, that the, the timing was was so perfect because for the first 
23 years of my career, I was trying to build an audience by getting the people who just happened to find me to come back and see me again. And so I had to win over new people and get them to come back and experimenting. And the the other thing was that I, it was so hard to get to get stage time where I was living in, in LA and, and, and even in New York city. And the stage time was often not, not great quality in that the audiences were, were difficult and they were, they were responding more to the, toward, I call them party comics, the comics who, who get everybody riled up and, and ask them questions. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, they do a great job at this, but they, they're, they don't set them up for a comedian who, who wants to talk slower and wants to do things that aren't as, as, as compelling, I, I, I guess, physically. And, and so I, I think that I, I was protecting myself, but I also think that I wouldn't have found receptive audiences until I, I was able to cultivate my own audience. I, I, I think that, that yes, yes I, I kind of wish that I had risked more early on and I probably would have found the, the right rooms and the, and the right venues to, to experiment more and expand more. But, but also I, I think it, it, it may have delayed my, my, my progress in that I wouldn't have gotten booked on the road and been able to build an audience. And, and had I, had I done something that was, it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to say. And I, I think comedy is this, this very strange art form where you learn in front of audiences and you get easier audiences and, and easier restrictions as you get better at it and when you don't really need it as much. So it's, it's just, it's, it's really hard. I, 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 I don't know that because so much of it was based on confidence, but also a lot of it was based on, on, on having this audience that would, that would trust me and go with me. And, and, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to discount the the aspect of it which, which was at some point i wanted to do this as a as a a job so there there was also that aspect where i where i was trying to also please the the bookers and and make them want to bring me back because i i i i killed i that was that was one thing that that early on i was i was able to get great responses from the from the audience and and it, my, my i i i I sort of made this deal with myself. I, I don't have to be George Carlin or, or Lenny Bruce and, and go really deep, but I, I do have to be original and I don't want to sound like, like other comedians. And, and, and that was, that was sort of the, the deal I, I made that, that I would, I would, I would be a, a person who could earn a living at this, but I, I wasn't going to to be somebody who just went went out there and and was a, a just a, a claptrap audience pleaser, and and so, the, so that was sort <laughs> sure. of the yeah that was sort of the the deal I made. But but you're 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 very perceptive to to know that I I had I had yearned for this for a long time, being able to talk yeah. about deeper things and. 
I I feel like in in another great stroke of of luck and good fortune, I think now that I've covered this topic, I think people would would be more willing to to listen to me talk about things that are that are deep in, in maybe in, in another way and 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 I, I mean I, I don't see myself turning into to Bill Hicks because that that's not, not really my my strong suit but I, I I do feel comfortable talking about things that are that are a little more serious now and that and that I I feel like the audience won't be sort of uh, sideswiped by this like where where did this come from i i, I think i've established yes. some some yes. you've you've yeah. created a sort of safe environment right within which or not not even an environment but like a you know a, a culture of an audience you you've created a culture in your audience that that that's what they're looking for and they want to be the they want i'm sure we they we want to want you to continue to kind of challenge us in that way because you've always with your with your um language and i know how hard you write and we'll get on to your uh, (laughs) dolman's writing tips um because those are just oh my god i hope that's going to be a book um and in fact at the same time if it isn't a book and it remains to just if it remains a a sort of a a, um an artifact of benevolence that is also wonderful in its own (laughs) its own kind of way um but just talking about your your writing and and when you, you know, you're talking about like, well, you know, that Bill Hicks kind of thing, that's not my strongest suit. What would you describe as your, not exactly your angle, but like I know the sorts of things that when you do a particularly Gary Gullman uh, phrase or stylistic phrase, you know, like, like over embroidering an act out or deeply, deeply getting into the character of a very minor figure in an act act. There are certain things that I recognize are like, oh, that's absolutely you. What what's your understanding of the things that you're best at? Um I think I I I have to say that that it it stemmed from when I was in Los Angeles, I I could get on stage if I really hustled two or three times a week. I couldn't get on stage at the at the comedy store or the laugh factory or the or the improv but i could do these these bar shows and these these shows in in the side rooms of restaurants and so i could i could get on stage for maybe a half hour a week and the 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 other time i i spent when i was in los angeles for for six years was, was I, I, I enrolled in an, in acting programs and, and studied acting. So I, I, I felt like I wasn't wasting my time out there completely. Uh, but so I, so I only had about a half hour a week and I found that it was very frustrating to work all day on a joke. You go out there, you throw out the sentence the premise, the second sentence, it falls flat. And you're like, there's my entire week of of <laughs> exercise and it's wasted on a line that I didn't even know would work so yeah. I, I I felt discouraged and then I said just how about working on jokes that already have a few lines that work and adding on to them and and that became my my thing was to was to go as deep on a on a topic <sighs> as as I could and and I I just kept kept tagging and tagging and expanding 
and 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 the word didn't exist at the time, but it's so good, and I'm so angry that it that it became cliche. But I was really into unpacking things, so I wasn't going to let even a, <laughs> I wasn't even going to let a, a word pass by without saying, "Is there something within that word?" Because I'm I'm not going up on these stages that even even though they weren't great stages, you still had to sort of qualify to be brought back there. So you had to do well. I couldn't just go up there and, and screw around because the, the very few stages that I was allowed to, to work out at were going to, to shrink if I bombed time after time. And, and also, and, and I don't know if this was just exaggerated or, or was a fact, there seemed to always be somebody in the audience who was in, in some way helpful in getting you more work or auditions or, or things like that. So it wasn't, you couldn't just screw around every, every mm. night. So that, so that became sort of my thing. I was going to go further. You, you could have a joke uh, about something and I would say, uh, that's great. You talk about it for five sentences. I will talk about it for, for 50 and then it became, I, I don't want to even talk about things that somebody has a couple of sentences on because I, I, I found that was another way to, to, to distinguish myself from, from the other comedians that, that yes. I, I noticed that so many people were talking about the, the same things. And, and as, as much as I, I recognize great relationship material, I knew that I wasn't going to stand out by writing um, relationship material. And as much as I admire the guys who, who can be really, um, uh, adult and dirty and, and things like that. I, I love that kind of humor. I knew that I didn't have the experience in life with, with crazy experiences and, and, and bizarre relationships that that I could top them I, I I just how far can can I go my my life has been been pretty normal and and my my attitudes are are pretty mainstream so it was it was difficult for me to to really stretch the limits in in that area the one area that I that I found I could stretch the limits was was just in in uh I guess originality and also the the depth which I would I would I would sort of analyze and 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 to take apart different different topics that that I I didn't find a lot of other comedians were were doing. And the other thing was that I found that I often had just naturally an opinion on something that was the opposite of mainstream comedians. So I, I found that, that a lot of comedians hated certain things. And I would say, I, I actually, I, I, I love them. I appreciate them. I, 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 um, I want to talk in a, in a positive manner about them. It was a very, when I was coming up in the nineties, it was, it was so cynical. Every take was, bashing every opinion was negative and i found just by by going with my my own natural take on on things i was i was able to have um uh, I, w I wouldn't call it radical but a uh an um uh, an unusual take
Yes. Yes. Well, just to come back to the language for a second. Sure. Um, when you, you're so good at pitching for a word which <laughs> is not so not so unusual that we don't know it. But I'm thinking, of course, in like in your, your good example would be in the, the, the States, the abbreviating the States bit, which is one of your most well-known bits. So obviously, uh -huh. um, ne'er-do-wells. Yes. How often do well? Right. Ne'er. Like yeah. we've heard that. No, it's like, a, it's like a little Gary Larson cartoon. It's like, we all know that. We just haven't done the work. Yeah. You know, it's such a beautiful example of it. And then I, I don't know if it actually... I don't know which version of it. I've certainly heard a version, I think, on an album, which is, what, air? Nair. <laughs> I don't think that even makes it into right, the, I don't right, think that's in yeah. the Conan set because, yeah. like, but every, it's almost like, I look at it now, I've made some notes on the Conan thing. Dottie was a pistol. She was a real hot ticket. How Dottie is this? You know, and then sort of something, something going on to explain something that she'd said. Um, like every, there's sentences are like four or five words long and every one of them is its own little micro universe of <laughs> color and flavor and and something really unexpected and, and detail about the character. Yeah, I, th I think the key is unexpected. So I remember when I was living in Los Angeles, every day I would have, I mean, it wasn't coffee. We would sit at the Starbucks on Melrose for three to, to 12 hours and we would... <laughs> This friend of mine, his name is, is Rick Harris, and he, he is uh, one of the great comedic minds who, for whatever reason, stopped doing it in his, in his 30s and became an, an English teacher. And he, he, we, we would just discuss comedy for hours. We would bounce jokes off each other, and I, I, was, I was always in, in awe of him. And he said, what people love is hearing words they forgot they knew. And, yeah. and I said, Oh my gosh, that is so true. And, and so the unexpected is like, you, you definitely don't want the audience to be a, ahead of you. So if they're, if, and, and, and yet sometimes the audiences will still laugh, even though they either have seen the joke before or they, you, you, you would have to be a fool not to know the punchline. Anyhow, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. I wanted the audience to hear the last word or last reference that they were expecting. So I, I go out of my way, and I, 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 I pr pretty much before I try it out, I, I have a pretty good inkling of what the audience will respond to. Sometimes I'm. I'm wrong, but at this point, I, I I kind of just because I know that I I have a, a, a similar sense of humor to the people I'm entertaining, and and so I know that ne'er do well is a word we we come across enough, and it's the the other mm -hmm. thing is is that it's not said that much in in comedy. I think too many comedians don't trust the audience en enough to use their vocabulary. And I, 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 I have this, this sort of, and, and maybe it's, 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 it's foolish, but I have this idea that if I know a word, then, then you should know it. And, and if you don't, I'm a little bit surprised because I, I'm not a person who got a, a, a remarkable 
verbal score on my SATs. I'm I'm not a, not a person who who is is just I, I don't have a master's or anything like that. I I really believe that I'm I'm never using words that you that you wouldn't come across in in the newspaper or in or in magazine articles. I just I I and and so I I I I really believe in it and I think the audience uh, appreciates those words and and there's something to and and I didn't invent this but there's something to talking about mundane things in, in in more intellectual way that that I I think fi- people find really enter- entertaining and and I I also think that that a lot of people are like me we we like to hear people talk in a in a smart way I think it's the why why shows like the the West Wing and mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think of the other show by by Aaron Sorkin, uh, Sports Night. Why why they were so so popular? Because it's 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 I don't know if it's soothing, but it's it's very entertaining to listen to smart people talk. And and so I I, I think that that's another reason why I love the the audio books is because I'm you, you're listening to a smart person talk and you're picking up words and adding them to your inventory and a, and a word will pop up and you, and you'll think to yourself, that's the word that goes into that joke that will, yes. that will make it better. It has the right assonance because you're hearing it said out loud by another person. It has the, the right rhythm, the right number of syllables, and it's just uh, obscure enough that people aren't going to expect you to say it, and 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 th- that's what we we keep we keep striving for in a, in our work is 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 surprising the the, the people with with the the punchline and and also along the way to the to the punchline. I think too many comedians sit out the sit out the setup and and because we've been told that the setup needs to be short and the setup needs to just get get you along but there's there's so much that can be done in the in the setup and and people are 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 if you if you have the the right audience people will will join you on on the 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 what are the, why can't I think of the the, the digressions Yes. Yeah. Well, something else you're really very, very adept at is um, that type of joke where you let them get ahead of you. In a, <laughs> like, I'm thinking of the um, this. I don't know which which album it was from, but the the bit about people being barely billionaires. Oh yeah. They, you know, people who are almost billionaires. They round it up. They know their failures. But <laughs> um, you you said that would be the equivalent of winning the jackpot every week for six weeks, and then you say, "I'm going to warn you." That type of streak, and it's like the dot, 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 the ellipsis at the end of that, just lets everyone catch up with the thought. Uh-huh. And yeah, I, I just think you're, you're particularly good at doing that. And I think that's, it's from the same family as what we're talking about now, which is that it's, it's not patronising the audience, allowing them to have their own intelligence and giving them enough of the, the crossword clue of the joke. Yeah, that yeah. That they can fill great... it in themselves and then they, they manifest their own timing. Yeah, I think our friend Alex Edelman, we call him Edelman. I think the Brits call him Edelman. Um, he talked about, is it, maybe he referred to it as negative space or something. The Simpsons do that it. That sounds really, very where, Edelman. Where, yeah, where you, <laughs> where you let the audience fill in the, 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 the punchline or, or 
whatever. And, and it sort of like the, my, my all time favorite joke, if I had to, to save one, one joke so that people could, could recreate humor, <laughs> I would, I, I love this joke. It's just a line where the person says to an, another person, when, when somebody tells you something tragic happened, if you say other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> I, I just that, that makes me laugh every time because I, I I think it's 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 kind of subversive in in that this this woman who has had her her uh, beloved husband and and historical figure murdered in front of her uh, you're asking her uh, whether she enjoyed the play I think it's just there's so, there's so much going on there that that <laughs> that isn't isn't said and 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 you're not even telling the person. Um, who Lincoln is? It's just Lincoln is just the perfect, the the perfect name, and and the the um, Andy was at a play. It's it's just it has it has everything. So the the end of that routine, um, or maybe it's towards the end of that routine about billionaires, uh-huh. is you talk about how they have to be insane, and you say <laughs> they have to be insane. Yes. Dot 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 in order for me to cope with their success. And I've written in capital letters, brilliant. Because oh. what you like, it's such a lovely, daffy exploration of an idea that then is beautifully drawn to a very human point. You know, you're talking about, you're perfectly nailing the kind of the insanity of competitive richness and then like revealing that that, you know, it isn't a magnanimous opinion, like you have a stake in it, which is that you can't cope with how well they're doing. And it's, it's just such a perfect routine. Do you write on stage and do you ever stumble upon a ne'er do, ne'er do well, how often do well, ne'er? Do you ever stumble upon that on stage or is that always kind of uh, ground out on, yeah, on the page. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked that because I always try to get to this when I when I talk about process. So when I was living in Los Angeles, stage time was at such a premium that I had to write down, uh, memorize, say out loud, prepare every sentence I was I was saying on on stage. Occasionally, I would have some some confidence to to riff there was there was one particular place called the cafe nervosa maybe or no i think that's from frasia there was a, there was a <laughs> yeah that that, that that's from frasia there was a there was a there was a show it was called psychobabble and it was at a cafe that had a clever name and not one that you rolled your eyes at or groaned but it okay, was it was yeah. called psychobabble and the show and i would go on there and the woman really liked me and let me do a lot of time and and was very nurturing as far as i could talk about whatever i wanted to and and i um i was convinced that nobody from the industry would be there until a casting agent approached me after one show and, and brought me in. But anyhow, it was a, a place that I felt safe. And so, but other than that, I was writing down, memorizing, performing. And it, at about 2006, I moved to New York. The same thing happened. Every spot was, was gold. I had to prepare everything. And then in around 2010 or 11, I started to get some some road work where I would do hours on the road. And I was able to 
give myself some leeway as far as write it down, memorize it. Then if it's going well, see if this line works and, Mm -hmm. and that line works. Well, you just earned another line because they're still laughing. Try that line. And I would just keep going until they stopped laughing. It was, it was, it was sort of a, um, a, a training wheels approach to, to writing on stage. And, and then as that worked and I started to build an audience and, and I was also able to get stage time more readily and the stage time wasn't dependent on me killing, which, which was pretty much every place. But the, the comedy cellar is still a place where I, where I feel like I need to, to, be uh prepared um because you're going on after after comedians who are just annihilating you're going on after dave attell and you're going on after after guys like like ted alexandro and uh big j okerson and colin quinn and uh, hassan minaj and mike robiglia and you're going on after these guys who killed and you you won't even really get a good test of your of your comedy if if you're you're not doing your 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 best on those on those shows because the audience has just raised their expectations so anyhow the, the, i i i got to a place where i can now write on stage and record listen to those recordings and the things that I riffed, and usually I remember it pretty well, but there are certain nights, and, and you know this, where you're like, I need to get exactly how I said it because I've said it 30 different ways and yeah, only this yeah. way worked. And I need to write that down and memorize it. So it's sort of a, I, I sort of, it used to be I would write, memorize, record, get it all down and then I found that it was helpful to to listen because then I would say, well, I could have said more there. What else could I have said there? And and now it's 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 compounding that because I'm I'm on stage and riffing and then getting that extra bite at the apple where I'm sitting down listening to it and I said, oh, I could have even gone further there and i ran mm-hmm. out of time here i could have i could have added added this and and i i, I just i th- i think that that at at every point the the key was to just try and and think with a pen in my in my hand and and add things and and adjust things and find a better word so that that you're 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 using placeholders and 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 one thing i've found so helpful in the in the past couple of years is to is to when i when i write to write a word either in all capital letters if i'm if i'm typing or if i write in my book i'll i'll put a big square around it and and that means that that i need to go back with with my brain and maybe a thesaurus and and find a better word better word for that because that's not the right word it's the it's the it's the the mark twain has this great quote and i i i've heard it a number of different ways the best way i heard it was was the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug so i i i found that really really helpful to to 
um, go back and and replace the the placeholders. But the thing is, with most comedians, and we know them, they're so distracted, and uh, I, I hate to use the word lazy, but but there's it's it's lazy to know that there's a word out there that needs to be replaced and and you haven't even addressed it i i, I just i i and and i'll i'll see comedians over the years with the, with the same sore thumb sticking out in their act that they they <laughs> just won't replace the jokes that never get a laugh and they won't make an adjustment and and it's it's just it's it's um i i i find myself saying to myself i would never say to this this to a person but i say why do i want them to be a better comedian than they want to be <laughs> yeah i saw on your instagram feed there was a screen grab of um like a dictionary internet online dictionary saying meretricious and then a definition of meretricious and you you titled it there's always the word there's always yeah. a word and yeah. I think that's, is that a series? I think I wonder, I wonder if I saw um, you somewhere else on your feed. It's not that. a series because I, I can't find one every day, but whenever I come <laughs> up with one, I, I, I put it in there. And, and in, in, in so many cases, it's, it's just, um, a, a discovery or a rediscovery of a, of a word that, that just says so much in, in one, one word. It's, yes. it's, it's remarkable. Um, you, there was a moment in the Great Depression where I f- paused the screen in order to kind of enhance, enhance, and zero in on what was written in your notebook, which was laid open on a table. <laughs> and what was what was written in your notebook was capital letters, just talk about it. And I've written similar notes to myself. Just I write things like, just say what you think, just say what you mean. Yeah, just say it. yeah, yeah. That was that was so that was so helpful. But again, I needed to have a place that allowed me to just talk about it, because I I, I mean I, I had I've had experiences after the Great Depression at at the the Comedy Cellar where I tried that and um, got sidetracked by an audience member who who ridiculed me out loud and de- <laughs> demanded funny. And I, I just was, was so taken aback that I, that I, uh, I basically interviewed this person and people started walking out and, and the, the manager of the, of the club told me that you can't do that. That there's a, there's an obligation to entertain here. And I, I, um, I, I understood, but at the, at the, the, the same time, it was um, it was it was jarring because I I had had this experience at the at the comedy studio and a lot of other places in in New York that aren't as high profile as the as the comedy cellar where I um, where I can do whatever I want and and I'll be invited back. That they were not saying you won't be invited back. That I I want to be clear about that. They were just saying that that's not something that, that you can you can do every night. And, and I, I mean, it was, it, it, it was helpful in, in some ways, but it was also, it was a, a, a little bit disappointing, but also it, it keeps you disciplined in, in that there's there just, just talk about it and, and, and be funny are, 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 are <laughs> e- equally valid, valid things to write down. But at, at that time when I was, when I was working on my, 
my um, the the Great Depression. It was it was really really crucial to um, to examine every angle. And I, I wonder if you ever find this in your in your writing. And I and I, I wanted to make sure to 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 discuss this as as far as the process. I I, I don't and because I don't know if I I put this into the tips. But one thing that kept me from being discouraged over the past 20 years was when I would first start out, I would have this idea for a, for a great joke and I would fill uh, 25 notebook pages with it and I would try to memorize it. And then I would go on stage and um, the, the half of the, the sentences I hadn't memorized um, the ones that I did memorize didn't work and I felt like I had wasted an entire day on this thing. And, and so my, my new policy after, after about six years of comedy was that I was going to, to on a brand new joke that I had never tried before, I was going to give it a page or two. And, and, and if that worked, then I would write the 25 pages or, or, or whatever. I'm probably exaggerating, but then I would, the, yes. although all told, a lot of these jokes have hundreds of pages, but, but it, it was, it was just, it was, it was a better use and a more efficient use of my time to build on things that worked rather than try to, to reinvent the, the, the wheel. And, and so I, 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 I know that sometimes I won't even bother to write down things because I'll, I'll say, well, if the first sentence doesn't work, then the fourth sentence isn't going to work. So what's the the point? But then I remember it because I wasn't even trying to remember it on stage if the first one works and I'm just, and then I, I find myself a lot of times, and, and this is indulgent, but I'll say, now what, now audience, what if I say it with this word at the end? Do you like it any better with this word? <laughs> I do last, things like that all the, the time. word in the, in the, in the <laughs> sentence. And, and isn't that, isn't that so fun for us? I don't know if it's fun for the for yeah. the audience, but I, I I just it's it's so it's so helpful to have that that I you it's the the to me the greatest art form because you get that instant feedback on maybe not whether it's good art but whether it works as and and that's and we we know that gets to a point where it doesn't have to and I, and and I, I think you're at this this point as as well where yeah i'm going to get laughs on on what i say that's 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 just the 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 bare bottom i can do but i also yeah. want the comedians who are there to appreciate it and and not always laugh but but say that that's a good that's a good joke and and that i haven't heard that that take so we're 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 at a at a point now we're 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 not there to make the 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 uh, other comedians laugh, but if the other comedians think it's shit, then then it's not worth holding on to. That we're we're at a at a point now where I I think it's it's almost even a, a self fulfilling prophecy. If you think to yourself, well, I can't do any better than that. I can't write anymore. I then then you won't. But that the idea of of I, I always say to myself, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. But it's only, it's not a natural confidence. It's just that I've done it a, a hundred times. And also yeah. there's this thing that we don't take into account because you can't quantify it. You can't capture it. You can't 
some, some people say you can you can sort of sort of engage it or or turn it on, but there's this this component that I feel only comes out through through time. It's it's almost. I mean, and 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 I never know what time. I just know that I, I I'm working on a on a, a I have a book contract and and so I'm I'm writing this book and I I was writing for about an hour last night and I was like this sucks this sucks this sucks this sucks uh, and just repeat that for sixty minutes and then a sentence a sentence where I said oh my gosh that is that is terrific that is I've been digging for 60 minutes and I've got a sentence of, of five words and I, uh, I, it's a good thing I didn't quit at, at 59 minutes and 53 <laughs> seconds because it was, and sometimes it's two hours, sometimes it's 15 minutes, but whatever it is. And, and the thing I'm talking about obviously is the, is the, the, uh, unconscious or the subconscious, the, the, the part that mm-hmm. is, that they say is doing work when we're not even thinking, but the, 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 there, there's so much, especially in that in abbreviating the states joke, where I say, "Well, I don't really, I can't explain where that where that came from." It was, it was just the the one night I said, I, "I mean, the whole premise of that of that joke is that is that it's a it's a documentary, but it's a, it's it's not a documentary." But I never said it was a documentary until I had had the joke in my notebook and, and, yeah. uh, knocked off the rust every, every several months when I had a really good crowd, tried it out, it would bomb back into my act. And then one night I had a joke about the Helvetica documentary and on a whim, the audience was so good. I said, why don't we, why don't we bring out this absurd, uh, abbreviating the States joke and we'll, we'll, we'll say it's a documentary. And, and I, it was not that, it was not that deliberate. It was it was subconscious. It was it was yes. and, and, until it wasn't. And 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 so I, I I I've heard. I think it was John Cleese was working with a friend of mine at the Montreal Comedy Festival. They were writing together, and he said it it comes out in two hours. You need to write for two hours before it starts coming out. And I just. I just thought that that was that that was possible, or or um, and he also said that if you wrote the same time every day, it, it, you could you could engage it quicker if if your mind knew that it was going to that place. But I I, I mean I'm sure there are books and books written on the, the idea and how to how to bring it out. But I I only know that if I if I am ruminating on my jokes with with either in the in the shower or on long walks or long runs. Um, that a, a lot of work is, is, is being done for me. What is it that you love about Vonnegut? We'll wrap up. We'll wrap up shortly. You've given me oh, so, yeah, so yeah, much yeah. of your time. Before we do, I, I am a huge fan of Vonnegut. I have the, um, there's a quote, I, I don't know if it's in one of your tips or in something else that I, that I read. Um, the, the quote, um, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. I have yeah. that set on my Google Home, so it says it to me every morning <laughs> when I ask it to turn the radio on in the morning. Like uh, six thirty, I'm up with my babies, and the Google uh, robot says, "If this isn't nice, I don't know what is." Uh, I, that, it's so meaningful to me to repeat yes. that and to say it and to kind of make it a mantra. Yeah, and, and so many, you know, the um, the 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 thing that you I think you quoted in like a, a big chunk of Vonnegut from one of his a forward. I don't remember to which. 
yes. book, but it's about the parallel between war and the arts. Yes. Anyone who survives a human wave attack against such daunting odds does do because of dumb luck. Agility, courage and character have nothing to do with how it all turns out. Gifted artists have to be what they are, have to do what they do the way they do it. And whether they earn a living and fame thereby is a matter of happening by chance upon breaks in the barbed wire unswept by machine gun fire. <laughs> oh, my I've, God. I've got the chills. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. It's, and I've and I've heard it. I've read it a hundred times. And, and, and yeah, it, it's just I mean, it's that type of, of humane kindness and thoughtfulness and and resistance to to the the machismo and masculinity and pride and and just that that is in every bit of his his writing just a, a, uh I, I mean i i have this this um wall i don't know what you would call it but it's it's uh um grooved letters in a sign that says hello babies welcome to earth it's hot in the summer and cold in the winter it's round and wet and crowded on the outside babies you've got a hundred years here there's only one rule i know of babies god damn it you've got to be kind and that's um one of my favorite quotes and then the other one on my wall here is we are what we pretend to be so we must be careful about what we pretend to be, which is just, I, I think, so helpful to comedians who say, I'm just being a, a character and these horrible things I'm saying have no, no weight and no matter because it's just a character. But I, 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 think, I think if words have meaning, then you have to be careful with them. So, so I, I think it's Kurt Vonnegut's, I mean, his, his, um, his, his humanity, but also he's, he's, He's funny. He's he can be vulgar. He's just so human, and and also his imagination is incredible. And he has this this great I don't know if it was an intentional device, but where he he sort of puts out these these wild sci-fi premises in that last maybe a sentence or a paragraph, and they're credited to his alter ego Kilgore Trout. So. That there's there's this wonderful aspect where he gets to play within his within his books and and then just his his philosophy I I, I mean I I just I, I think I think I could learn everything I needed to to behave in a in an ethical humane moral way by by exclusively reading his his books nonfiction and and fiction and and I I just I I. I, I I read other authors. I love Philip Roth and and Steinbeck and 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 uh, other authors. I I'm trying to think of who else I have the most books of. Probably Vonnegut and, and Philip Roth. I have the most books on on hand. But I and then Toni Morrison. But I I and, and Toni Morrison is a, is a similar writer in that in that I I. She's so so humane and 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 kind. I think in her in her writing and and I, I just am so so moved by by people like that because there's just there's so, so much cynicism within within that that world and 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 Vonnegut. I guess you could say he was a pessimist and that he was always talking about the the end of the world and we're at end times. But I, I also think he really believed in the, in the kindness and, or, or at least the value of, of kindness. And, and so that, that 
I just have been moved by him since the, the first book I read of his, which was, was the Slaughterhouse Five, which isn't even my, my favorite book. I think my favorite is the Sirens of Titan, but, but it was, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I, I think of him as, as sort of a secular saint. Ah, oh, that's lovely. Is that your own, the secular saint? Uh, no, I, it couldn't be. It couldn't be. I, 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 I and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure somebody else has said that. Anytime you have two words and their alliteration and they kind of <laughs> go together well, somebody, somebody has made that that connection before. I, I, I find it so so funny when when you think that you've you've coined a phrase, you type it into Google, and there's a there's a T-shirt and a website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was Gary, really, really joyful to talk to him. Um, we got cut off at the end there, but I'm going to trust your editor, Nathan, to have put a beautiful bow on that. <laughs> we often, I often get to a point with interviews where I go, oh, that'll be an end point, but let's see if we can squeeze something else out. So I'm sure we had one of those this time. Um, remember, 45 minutes of brilliant extra content available uh, at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, or if you are already a member, and remember, you can... You can join with a minimum donation of £2 a month or as much as you want, but everyone gets the same stuff because your financial worth is not a reflection of your self-worth. All right, let's keep hammering the principles. Um, Gary will talk about his extensive writing tips for comics and why it's impossible to use up creativity. And do you remember when I did Conan, Clang? Do you remember uh, I talked about the thing that JP, the booker and kind of a co-architect of my set there. Um, the thing that he said to me before I went on stage, we find out Gary's one as well. It's great. Um, so comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, or if you're already a member, it'll be in your private feed now. I mean, it'll be there right now. And I guarantee that because I know that Nathan will listen to this whilst editing it and realise that I have made a guarantee on his behalf. Sorry, Nathan. Catch up with Gary at Gary Goldman on social media or GaryGoldman.com and you can find out everything I'm up to uh, at ComediansComedian.com which will shortly link you to InfiniteSofa.com. Dave Gorman is my guest on The Infinite Sofa next Monday at 9 if you are listening to this in real time. If not, you can catch that episode um, probably on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com slash ComComPod. See what I mean? Too many things now. I need a, I need a website which is just a, a my grinning face and lots of little circles where you can do whatever you need. But the problem is to describe what's in the circles would need more than an icon and more words than you could fit in one of the little circles, the size of which I'm imagining now. Follow us uh, at by which I follow us by which I mean me at ComComPod. And um, you can follow my own Twitter at Stu Goldsmith. I post a joke there approximately once every three months. It's been easy to uh, not write any actual jokes whilst producing all of these different uh, projects and machines and things. Um, But I did do some recently. I wrote a new bit. And if you're feeling down, why not write a new bit? Because just coming up, like, I mean, obviously it was the one good bit out of 30 shit new bits. But the one good bit, which I think, well, it's got potential. When the world comes back, that'll work. That'll grow. Um, enormous, enormous positives for my my mental health. Speaking of which, I'll give you an update on the old budget therapy um, in the postamble. But for now, this concludes the show. Paul Sinner returns next week. You're going to love it. Bye for now. So just a little update then. Lots going on at the moment. My son, uh, the Boutros, started school yesterday and came back and said it was awesome. So I'm thrilled with that because, as you may recall, depending on your uh, connection to my own life story, I did not find school wonderful. Primary school, I can't remember. I'm sure it was bliss. But... um, 
the word school and more specifically the fabric, uh, the grey fabric of a school trouser, which I have not touched since I wore my own at age 16 for the last time and brought back some weird kind of, what's the word, psychokinetic memories, some sort of psycho... Not psychogeographical, not a place, but a thing, like a psychoarchitectural. Sure, I mean, that sounds feasible. Um, I basically, we would get his stuff ready for school, and I was like, oh, school trousers. And I kind of picked them up and had one of those camera in, like zoom in, pan out, or what is it? Focus in, zoom out moments, um, such as the critic has at the end of the film Ratatouille. And um, every time I talk about school, I get a little bit shaky. That is, that's actually a genuine frog in my throat now, not an emotional thing. But... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. So he, I was, I, not that I was worried, but I'm aware that it's a jungle out there and uh, he seemed to have a wonderful time romping through it. So that's great. And I mean, listen, I'm sorry if you, if you dip in and out of this podcast and you remember my, my elation at the Boutros's birth some four and a half years ago. And I'm like, what? He's at school? Yeah, that's it. That's my thing about children. That's my, my view on children is very much like it is like firing an anchor or a grappling hook into time itself and then you spend the rest of your life paying the rope out going, gosh, I know exactly how many years it's been since that big event now because there's a number on it worn proudly by my child. Um, That was good. Little therapy update. Thank you. Some of you sent me very kind messages uh, about the fact I was getting back into therapy. Um, I tried somebody and uh, it was quite a fun experience because in order to get some privacy, I had to Zoom call them from my van parked outside the house using the Wi-Fi war driving my own Wi-Fi. Um, and uh, uh, it was it became apparent in the first few moments that he lived a 30 second walk away. <laughs> so, I mean... I thought to myself, look, I've booked the time off and I've paid for this in advance and it was only a sort of half-price tri session anyway. I thought, let's see if we get anything out of it. We're both, you know, we've booked the time off, both of us. Um, But I was fairly sure that it would need to have gone electrifyingly well for me to be comfortable with the idea of a therapist who lived... I'm not 30, call it a minute and a half. I mean... It's a, it's a small area where I live and I'm pretty sure... I didn't, but I'm pretty sure I could have guessed the house <laughs> from the decor on the inside because there's a couple of houses around here that have a certain style and I thought maybe it's I, I almost went mate do you live next to XYZ and but I didn't because I thought let's go let's go the thing and it was it was useful it was useful to um start reconsidering all of that stuff it wasn't the right fit in the end and I I think I mean, it would have needed to be astonishingly appropriate on off right off the blocks for me to go cool. So when I need therapy, I'll just pop round your house. And I, and I tell you what, it, it was um, yeah, COVID notwithstanding. Um, part of me, the part of me that used to have an opening joke about the fact I wore Merrell's approach shoes all the time, um, the part of me that uh, that cannot countenance a pair of trousers or a pair of shoes if they don't let me run for a bus in all weathers in them. That little in- efficiency-driven part of me, which is, which I love and hate, was very excited about the idea of going, oh, I'm having a bit of a wobble. I'll see if Therapist X is available. And literally, I could be in his office five minutes later on foot. I mean, that was very exciting. But it was not to be. I'm going to keep looking. And um, I find it... I suppose my preoccupation at the moment is that I, I, I like that... Um, I like that aspect of my life, which is self-made. And whether you are employed or self-employed, freelance in some capacity, 
or whether you are, you know, some somewhere on the spectrum of all sorts, the nature of your employment, the nature of your creativity, of how you see the world, of how you... You know, I've got friends, I've got some of my old recreational friends from back in the day. They're forever showing me, oh, look, I've got a new, this is my Monzo card. And you go, oh, there's a whole new way to do banking. This isn't a sponsored ad, I'm just trying to draw a parallel. No matter who you think you know, no matter how well you know the people you know, everyone is building their own life and goes, oh, it look, I could do this. I could. No, we've gotten rid of the car, actually. We just use a, <laughs> a skateboard. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, my, well, Come on, come on, focus. My point is, God, I've just in saying focus, I've remembered the um, the wonderful moment at the Christchurch World Buskers Festival, as was many years ago, where David Quirk, brilliant comic, go back and re-listen to his episode. What a wonderful comic! And um, David Quirk was a very loose comic, and on stage was being so loose that someone heckled him by just shouting, "Focus!" <laughs> it was absolutely wonderful. My point is, this is me. That was me attempting to focus. That was a focus-based anecdote. Um, the point is everyone builds their life and the nature with which I am building my life at the moment, particularly in the pandemic, where I'm looking at my live live gig offers and thinking, is that is that what I do now? If I'm not up and running doing five gigs a week, it seems mad to just go to Nottingham once, <laughs> you know, once in the week until it all comes back. Why not live a different life? There's a bit of that in it. I'm not I'm not making my mind up on that. Please still offer me gigs. Um, but between all of the different internet stuff, the great list of projects and Twitch and podcasts and the child labour podcast I'm doing with Sindhu, that's been extraordinary, it's been so much fun and, and, and is continuing to be. There's so much going on and in the way that I look at my email inbox, I've got sort of three inboxes now and two of them are to-do lists and one of them I just don't look at. And, um, and the social media, the steps we're all having to take to safeguard our to safeguard our mental health and to safeguard our ability to get anything done due to the multiplicity of apps and software and, and, and platforms in our life, all of which are designed in a lab by scientists to completely suck and enfold our attention. Like, how could you, for a living, work across two platforms, both of which are constantly, like, say, Facebook and Twitter, both of which are constantly tr procedurally trying to interest you and make you stay on them? Part of me thinks, do I need a therapist? Do I need a life coach? Do I need an ADHD diagnosis? Um, about which I'm only being mildly flippant. There's a lot of red flags, but still no official uh, stuff on that. Do I need a... Do you know what I mean? What, what do I need? <laughs> what is the job that I need? I think I need a genie. <laughs> I need such a finely tailored expert in me and the world that I've built for myself. We're getting to a point, that's almost the point, isn't it? And I'm not saying I'm special in this regard. We are all like this to a greater or lesser extent. What is it that I need? I need a sort of tailored expert who can come in and say, I have knowledge of anxiety, ADHD, depression, question mark, sometimes, getting things done, the internet, I'm across all the platforms, I know all about podcasts, I know all about uh, Twitch, I know all about streaming, such that I, your saviour, can say, ah, you need to do more of this and less of this and stop doing that entirely. But that job doesn't exist. That job doesn't exist. It probably will, and it will probably be... How frightening is the idea? Not frightening. How futuristic is the idea of doing online therapy to an app? Have you seen these adverts? Maybe they don't pop up on your feed like they do with mine. 
strange, isn't it? Maybe there will be that. Maybe that job will exist in the future and it will be automated. That's all I've got for you. Um, if you know of anyone who does exquisitely tailored, don't get excited about the ADHD thing. It's almost certainly not the case. I'm just Maybe it's just a completely s- s- uh, standard reaction to the multiplicity of all of the things clamouring for one's attention these days to feel that you can't keep a thought in your head. There we go. That was... Th- Previously, the end was the bit we oh, we tied a nice bow on that, and then I kept talking. Bye for now. Paul Sinner returns next week. A pleasure talking to you. Email me, info at comedianscomedian.com. Get in touch on social media, at comcompod. But do it in a, a specific and worthwhile way <laughs> that will reward me for engaging with it, rather than simply, ah, oh, that's too much, you can't say that. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>